It's a Friday edition of PFTOT. You know, that's the show that we do after PFT Live. Chris Sims isn't with me on Fridays because he doesn't work on Fridays, but I do. Not that it's really work. I just sit here and talk about football. Let me talk about some of the things that I didn't get to during PFT Live. We had Peter King for a couple of hours. And the dominant conversation today comes from that Tyler Dunn article from Bleacher Report regarding dysfunction with the Green Bay Packers. And a couple of additional points I really want to emphasize. This may have come up over the past few hours when we spoke about it, but I I am curious about these things moving forward. First of all, are the Packers going to push back against this story in any way, shape, or form? We've seen Mike McCarthy already issue a denial regarding the most damaging and inflammatory allegation against him that he was getting massages on a regular basis during meetings, not in the meeting room, but in his office. I guess that really would have been awkward if he was actually getting the massage while at the meeting in the meeting room, but he wasn't present for the meeting. He was getting massages instead. Again, he denies it. Tyler Dunn has pushed back a little bit with some more off the record quotes from players who say it was a given that it was going on. And it's surprising he would even try to deny it. What will the Packers try to deny? And will they do so either at the behest of or in the interest of keeping Aaron Rodgers happy? Because at some point, I think he's going to look around and say, why isn't anyone defending me? And why should I have to be the one who issues a statement? Why should I have to be the one who stands up and says something? And keep in mind, if he shows up for the start of the offseason program next week, he will have to say something because at some point he'll be available to the media and they are there on Monday. And that will be a very hot topic. And I guarantee you, whether it's Matt LaFleur, Aaron Rodgers, or anyone else, players are going to be asked about it. Coaches are going to be asked about it. What is their reaction to that story? And maybe the Packers are just going to wait until then. But until we get to that point, a lot of this stuff may bake in. And there may be some who think that, well, if the Packers didn't come out and deny it right away like Mike McCarthy did, maybe there's some truth to these claims that are being made regarding Aaron Rodgers freezing out teammates. Not, not a lot of the things we hear about Ben Roethlisberger that former players say. We're hearing it about Aaron Rodgers. And what, when, you, when you look around the NFL, how many times have quarterbacks really had to deal with that kind of stuff where current former players, people on the record, people off the record saying things about the quarterback? It's happened with Roethlisberger. It's happened with Aaron Rodgers. It doesn't happen all that often with the truly great quarterbacks and Aaron Rodgers has to be miffed about it concerned about it and maybe a little perturbed that the Packers don't seem at least so far to have his back the Packers decided last year to give Aaron Rodgers a contract that makes him the highest paid player in all of football at 33 and a half million in new money Michael David Smith made an excellent point on PFT on Friday morning does this story from Tyler Dunn of all the dysfunction that has been going on with the Packers and things that Rodgers has done and not done to be the best quarterback he can be, the best leader he can be, the best teammate he can be, does that make the contract a mistake? Should maybe the Packers have not committed so many dollars, cash and cap? I mean, we're talking about a signing bonus of nearly $50 million, fully guaranteed money at signing in excess of $70 million, nearly $100 million guaranteed for injury on top of the full guarantee. The, the Packers are tied to Aaron Rodgers now, for better or worse. And there's a chance it's going to get worse. There's a chance that having all this stuff out there is only going to make Aaron Rodgers saltier. He's going to be harder to deal with, potentially. And he's going to be worse of a teammate, not better of a teammate. And and it's led to my kind of cockeyed conspiracy theory. I've hatched a few of those over the years. That maybe there's some Green Bay Packers management fingerprints on this story because they're trying to ensure 
that as Mark Murphy, the CEO of the team, reportedly said to Rodgers when Rodgers was being informed that Matt LaFleur is the next coach, don't be the problem, don't be the problem. Maybe the Packers are doing their damnedest to ensure that Aaron Rodgers won't be the problem. And maybe there's a little reverse psychology going on here where putting this stuff out there leads to the kind of negative story that causes Aaron Rodgers to prove everyone wrong by being the opposite of the guy portrayed in that Tyler Dunn story. Aaron Rodgers was a first-round draft pick back in 2005, and when the first round of the draft arrives in a little under three weeks, how many quarterbacks will be taken in round one? I had a conversation with someone yesterday who was very plugged in every year on who's going to get picked and when. And, and obviously it's imperfect, it's inexact, but there are some people who have a very, very strong incentive to know exactly what's going to go on and they have the resources available to find out. And I trust those people. I was told that there will be at least, well, there could maybe be as many as five that there will be at least four. And last year there were five. So it could be five for a second time. You've got, obviously, number one, Kyler Murray, who will likely be the first quarterback, if not the first overall pick. Then either Drew Locke or Dwayne Haskins, depending upon who decides to pull the trigger on which guy first. Then Daniel Jones is a guy, and I know Chris Sims has kind of a lukewarm assessment of Jones, but the momentum is building for him to be a first-rounder, maybe middle of first round, maybe between 15 and 20. And then you have to watch the very bottom of the round. Does somebody swing back in to try to get a quarterback there under a five-year contract? And we've seen teams on multiple occasions jump into spot 32. The Ravens did it last year to get Lamar Jackson. The Vikings did it a few years ago to get Teddy Bridgewater. Could that be a spot where quarterback number five comes off the board? And one name to watch, and I am partially saying this because I am partial to the folks up the road at West Virginia University, but don't be shocked if Will Greer sneaks into the bottom of round one. And, you know, there's a thought that maybe he's low round one, maybe it's a little more likely he's round two, possibly round three, could go as late as round four, but it all depends on if there's that one team out there that decides he's the guy we're going to cast our lot with and we'd like to swing back into the bottom of round one to try to get him. That's how you get that fifth quarterback. That's how it happened last year, and that's how it could happen this year, whether it's Greer or whether it is someone else. We're still digesting what went wrong with the Alliance of American Football. One thing I've noticed in looking at the traffic at ProFootballTalk.com, people didn't care all that much about the AAF while it was around. People care about the AAF a lot now that it's gone. It's like rubbernecking when you go by a car accident. People want to understand what happened. Oh, my gosh, what is happening? How is this happening? And how do we see this possibly be avoided by other football leagues in the future. And I keep coming back to the basic reality of funding or lack thereof. And and I don't look, I, I don't pretend to know how a sports league would operate right out of the gates. And I understand that startup businesses aren't always fully funded when they start their business. But it's one thing to say I'm going to start selling something. It's another thing to say we are going to launch an enterprise that consists of 10 weeks of football and two weeks of the playoffs. And I The idea that, well, we're just going to start it up and hopefully there'll be enough money and hopefully, you know, enough people will be attracted by what they see by way of the quality of the product early on that they'll invest money in it so we can keep it going. I don't think that's the way you run a sports league. I think you run a sports league with enough money in the bank from the get go to properly execute your plan from start to finish of one season. And then you assess at the end of the season whether you want to put in the money for a second season or whether you even can. So the idea that they didn't have enough cash set aside to run this league for a year 
that's kind of astounding. And again, I don't pretend to know how sports leagues operate, but it just seems odd to me that you would kind of go see to the pants with a league where you've created the expectation you're going to finish a full season and you ultimately don't. And what made it worse for the AAF, once Tom Dundon got involved, it was the belief that there would be three seasons without financial difficulties, and ultimately they only make it through eight weeks of a regular season. And, and other issues as well, and Peter King touched on this today, the spending. that And we may have talked about this off the air during a break, but the, the, the idea of having the sky judge, of having the extra official, of having bells and whistles that make it feel like a step below the NFL, do you really need all that stuff right out of the gates? Do you need to have your team spread all across the country? That was a question I posed to Charlie Ebersol, co-founder of the league last year when the, the news first came out. I, I, I've said this time and again this week. If you're going to start a football league or any sports league, keep it regional. Have geographic rivalries. Have bus distances, not plane flights, not cross-country plane flights. That's for damn sure. Keep it as cheap as you can to get started and get through that first season and see if you can find your footing. But ultimately for the AAF, it was funding. And that is the thing that the XFL clearly has. Now, will Vince McMahon decide after a few weeks, "Eh, you know what, I don't want to waste any more money? He could, but it looks like he's committed to giving this multiple years. And that's what you need if you're ever going to have a chance to get this thing off the ground, if you believe it can be gotten off the ground. And that leads into the last topic for today. Does it ever make sense to have an alternate professional football league playing in anything but traditional football season. This started as a question that was posed to me by somebody for the Thursday PFTPM podcast, and I'd never really thought of it this way. But why do we assume that because people love football from September into January and for the NFL early February, that they're just going to continue to love it in February, March, April, May, whenever? The Arena Football League has been around for years. It's never really taken off. Just because people love football in football season doesn't mean they're going to care about football when it's not football season. So why not consider an alternative professional league that would play, this is a radical concept, during football season? You've got two nights a week already that are wide open, Tuesday, Wednesday. You have a professional league that welcomes guys who otherwise aren't eligible for the NFL draft, and there's already at least one Clemson player talking about how guys may indeed decide to not play college football and go get paid if they can. If you have a professional league that will invite, that will encourage, that will welcome players who aren't yet eligible for the NFL draft, and you that that's then you give them something. You give them the best football players that are available from that cut of available athletes, and you give people a reason to tune in, and you create geographic rivalries, and you create interest, and people are in football mode. Now, I guess some people need a break from football season. During football season, you kind of recharge and reload, but I think people like it. I remember the first time ESPN had like a stretch of 28 straight days where there was football every day. People love that. People get invested in football season and they understand it is one chunk of the calendar. And really, it's a weird time of year. It's getting colder out if you live, you know, in any type of a northern climate and the days are getting shorter. And football kind of carries you through to the holidays. Those those kind of gray and, and slow months of October, November. Before you know it, it's Thanksgiving. Before you know it, it's Christmas. And before you know it, football season's over. And nobody wants to watch football after football season's over. Something to think about for somebody out there who eventually decides to spend several hundred million dollars trying to make an alternate professional football league work. 
All right, that's it for today's PFTOT. We'll be back Monday with another edition of PFT Live and around the clock all weekend long at ProFootballTalk.com. Have a great weekend, and we will talk to you again on Monday.